February 14th, 2021. The book is The Education of Little Tree, written by Forrest Carter. We're on Pine Billy. Pine Billy, in the wintertime, we carried leaves and put them on the corn patch. Back in the hollow, past the barn, the corn patch flattened out on either side of the spring branch. Grandpa had cleared it a little ways up the sides of the mountain. The slants, as Grandpa called the sloping sides of the corn patch, didn't raise good corn, but he planted it anyway. There wasn't much flat ground in the hollow. I liked gathering the leaves and putting them in tow sacks. They were light to carry. Me and Grandpa and Grandma could help each other fill the sacks. Grandpa would carry two and sometimes three. I tried to carry two, but couldn't make it, make much headway at it. Knee deep for me, the leaves were like a brown snowfall on the ground, dappled with the yellow paint of maple leaves and the red of the bum, of the bee gum and the sumac bushes. We would come out of the woods and scatter the leaves over the field. Pine straw too. Grandpa said some pine straw was necessary to acid the ground, but not, not too much. We never worked so hard. We never worked so long or hard that it got tedious. We usually was drawed off as grandpa put it to something else. Grandma would see a yellow root and dig that up and that led her to some ginseng or iron root or callum or sassafras or lady slipper. She knew them all and had a remedy for any ailment of which I ever heard. Her remedies worked too, though some of the tonic I would as soon not have drunk. Me and Grandpa usually run across hickory nuts or chickapins or chestnuts, sometimes black walnuts. It wasn't that we specially looked for them, it just seemed to happen. Between our eating and gathering nuts and roots and seeing a coon or watching a pecker wood, our leaf carrying would get down to practical nothing. As we would walk down the hollow in the evening dusk, all of, all of us loaded with nuts and roots and such, Grandpa would cuss under his breath where Grandma couldn't hear him. And then he'd announce the next time we was not gonna get drawed off to such foolishness and we're going to spend the whole time carrying leaves, which always sounded mighty dismal to me, but it never happened. Sack by sack, we got the field covered with leaves and pine straw, and after a light rain when the leaves clung to the ground just enough, Grandpa would hitch up old Sam, the mule, to, and, to the plow, and we'd turn the leaves under the ground. I say we because Grandpa let me plow some. I had to reach up over my head to hold the handles of the plow stock and spent most of my time pulling all my weight down on the handles to keep the plow point from going too deep into the ground. Sometime the point would come out of the ground and the plow would skitter along, not plowing. Old Sam was patient with me. He would stop 
while I pulled and strained at getting the plow upright. Then he would move ahead when I said, giddy up. I had to push up on the handles to make the plow point go into the ground. And so between the pulling down and the pushing up, I learned to keep my chin away from the crossbar between the handles, for I was getting continual licks that jolted me up pretty bad. Grandpa followed behind us, but he would let me do it. If you wanted old Sam to move to the left, he'd say, haw. If you wanted him to move to the right, you'd say, gee. Old Sam would meander off a little to the left, and I would holler, gee. But he was hard of hearing and would keep meandering. Grandpa would take up, gee, 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 damn it to hell, gee. And old Sam would come back to the right. Trouble was, old Sam heard this so much that he begun to connect up the total geeing and the cussing and would not go right until he heard all of it, figuring natural that to go to the right, it took the whole amount. This led to a considerable cussing, which I had to take up in order to plow. This was all right until Grandma heard me and spoke hard to Grandpa about it. This cut down on my plowing considerable when Grandma was around. Old Sam was blind in his left eye, so when he reached the end of the field, he would not turn around going to his left, figuring he might bump into something. He would always turn to his right. When you're plowing, turning to the right works good at one end of the field, but at the other, it seems you have to turn a full circle, dragging the plow completely out of the field into the bushes and briars and such. Grandpa said we had to be patient with old Sam as he was old and half blind. So I was, but I dreaded every other turn at the end of the field, especially when there was a thicket of blackberry bushes waiting on me. One time Grandpa was pulling and dragging the plow around through a mass of nettles and stepped in a stump hole. It was a warm day and yellow jackets had a nest in that hole. They got up Grandpa's britches leg and he taken off hollering for the spring branch. I saw the yellow jackets come out and I taken off too. Grandpa flattened out in the spring branch, slapping at his britches and cussing old Sam. He might near lost his patience. But old Sam stood patient and waited till Grandpa got over it. Trouble was we couldn't get near the plow. The yellow jackets was all stirred up and swarming around that plow. Me and Grandpa got out in the middle of the field and Grandpa would try to get old Sam to come forward away from the yellow jacket nest. Grandpa would call, come on, Sam, come on, boy. But old Sam wouldn't move. He knew his business and he knew better than to pull a plow laying sideways on the ground. Grandpa tried everything, a considerable cussing, and he got down on all fours and brayed like a mule. I thought he brayed tolerable close to the sound of a mule. And once old Sam leaned his ears forward and and looked hard at Grandpa, but he wouldn't move. I tried braying myself, but I couldn't touch Grandpa's bray. When Grandpa saw Grandma, 
had come up and was watching us on all fours in the middle of the field and braying, he quit. He had to go into the woods and get a lighter knot. He had to go into the woods and get a lighter knot, which he touched a match to and pitched into the stump hole. This smoked the yellow jackets away from the plow. Going back to the cabin that evening, Grandpa said it had been a worrisome puzzlement to him for many years whether old Sam was the dumbest mule in the world or the smartest. I never figured it out myself. I liked the field plowing, though. It growed me up. When we walked down the trail to the cabin, it appeared to me that my steps was lengthening quite some bit behind Grandpa. Grandpa bragged on me a lot to Grandma at the supper table, and Grandma agreed that it looked like I was coming on to being a man. We were at the supper table one such evening when the hounds set up a racket. We, went all, we all went out to the front porch to see a man coming across the footlog. He was a fine-looking feller, nearly as tall as Grandpa. I liked his shoes the best. They was bright yellow high top with white socks rolled around and lump tied to hold them up. His overalls struck him just above the socks. He had on a short black coat and a white short, white shirt and had a little hat that sat square on his head. He was carrying a long case. Grandpa, Grandma and Grandpa knew him well. Well, it's Pine Billy, Grandpa said. Pine Billy waved. Come in and stay a while, Grandpa said. Pine Billy stopped at the doorstep. Ah, I was just passing by, he said. I wondered where he was passing to with just mountains behind us. You're going to stay and eat with us, Grandma said, and got Pine Billy by the arm and led him up the doorsteps. Grandpa taking his long case by the handle and we all went into the kitchen. I could tell right off that Grandpa and Grandma liked Pine Billy a lot. He had four sweet taters in his coat pocket and gave them to Grandma. She made them into a pie right then and Pine Billy ate three pieces of it. I got one and hoping and was hoping he not eat the last piece. We moved away from the table and sat by the fireplace and left the piece of pie in the pan on the table. Pine Billy laughed a whole lot and said I was going to be bigger than Grandpa, which made me feel good. He said Grandma was prettier than the last time he'd seen her, and this pleased Grandma. Grandpa, too. I commenced to feel right good about Pine Billy, even if he had eat at the three pieces of pie, they was his taters. We all sat around the fire, Grandma in a rocker and Grandpa leaning forward in his. I figured something was up. Grandpa asked, well, what's the news, Pine Billy, that you hear around? Pine Billy leaned back on two legs of the straight back chair. He took a finger and a thumb and pulled out his lower lip and turned a little can upward, putting snuff in his lip. He offered the can to Grandpa and Grandma. They shook their heads. Pine Billy was sure taking his time. He spit in the fire. Well, he said, looks like I might have come upon something that'll fix me in good shape. 
He spit in the fire again and looked around at all of us. I didn't know what it was, but I could tell it was important. Grandpa figured it was too, for he asked, What is it, Pine Billy? Pine Billy leaned back again, looked at the roof rafters. He clasped his hands across his stomach. Must have been last Wednesday. No, it was a Tuesday, for I'd been playing at a Jumpin' Jody dance on a Monday night. Tuesday it was. I came through the settlement on a Tuesday. You know the policeman there, Smokehouse Turner? Yes, yes, I've seen him, Grandpa said, impatient. Well, Pine Billy said, I was standing on the corner talking to Smokehouse when this big, shiny car pulled into the filling station across the road. Smokehouse didn't notice it, but I did. It had one feller in it, and he was dressed fit to kill. Big city. He got out of his car and told Joe Holcomb to fill it up with gasoline. Well, I wasn't watching him all the time, and he looked around kind of sneaky. It hit me right off, I said to myself, that's a big city criminal. Mind ye, Pine Billy said, I didn't say it to Smokehouse, I just said it to myself. But to Smokehouse, I said, Smokehouse, you know I'm again turning anybody into the law, but big city criminals is different, and that feller over there looks total suspicious to me. Smokehouse studied the feller and said, yeah, yeah, you could be right, Pine Billy. Well, we'll just have a look. And he ambles across the road to the feller's car. Pine Billy brought his chair down on four legs and spit in the fire and studied the logs a minute. I couldn't hardly wait to hear what happened to the criminal. Pine Billy finished studying the logs and said, Now, you know, smokehouse can't read nor write. And as I can make out letter and write fair, I followed him over in case I was needed. The feller seen us coming and got back in his car. We walked up and Smokehouse leaned on his window and asked him politely what he was doing in the settlement. The feller was nervous, I could see, and said he was on his way to Florida, which sounded suspicious. Sounded suspicious to me too, and I'd seen Grandpa nod his head. Pine Billy continued. Smokehouse said, where are you from? The feller said he was from Chicago. Chicago. Smokehouse said he reckoned that was all right. But for the feller to get out of the settlement, and the feller agreed that he would. Now, in the meantime, Pine Billy cocked his eyes around at Grandma and Grandpa. In the meantime, I edged back behind the car and lettered out his tag plate. I pulled Smokehouse aside and told him, he says he's from Chicago, but he's got Illinois tags on his car. Old Smokehouse was on him like a bottle fly on syrup. He pulled that criminal out of his car and stood him up aside of it and asked him flat out, if you're from Chicago, what you doing with that Illinois tag on your car? Smokehouse know he'd had him. It caught the criminal flat-footed. He didn't know what to say. Caught him in a bare-faced lie, you see. He tried to slick-talk his way out of it, 
But I'll say this for old Smokehouse. He ain't not that easy to slicker. Pine Billy was plumb excited now. Smokehouse put the criminal in jail and said he would check it out. Probably a big reward. And I'll get half of it. From the looks of the feller, it might be a bigger reward than me and Smokehouse either one has figured. Grandpa and Grandma both agreed it sounded mighty promising, and Grandpa said he didn't hold with big city criminals, which I don't neither. We all saw pretty plain that Pine Billy was as good as rich. But Pine Billy wasn't uppity about it. He said there could be the possibility that it wouldn't amount to a very big reward. He never put all of his eggs in one basket near counted his chickens before they hatched which is sensible. He said he had done some work on something else just in case. He said the Red Eagle Snuff Company was holding a contest that paid $500 to the winner, practical enough to set a man up for life. He said he had got a hold of a entertaining paper and all you had, an entering paper, and all you had to do was tell why you liked Red Eagle Snuff. He said he labored over it before he filled it in and came up with what he figured was the winningest answer that could be thought of. Pine Billy said that most folks entering would say that Red Eagle was good snuff. And he said that too, but he went further than that. He said he put down that it was the best snuff of any he had put in his mouth and furthermore, he would never put any other kind of snuff in his mouth but Red Eagle, as long as he lived. He said that he used his head because when the big men at Red Eagle Snuff Company see that, then they would know they would eventually get all their money back, seeing how Pine Billy would continually use their snuff for the rest of his life. If they give the money to somebody that just said Red Eagle was good, and let it go at that, well, they was taking a chance. Pine Billy said them big fellers didn't take no chances, not with their money. That was why they was rich. He figured he pretty well had the Red Eagle proposition practically in his pocket. Grandpa agreed the money looked right certain. Pine Billy went to the door and spit out his stuff, came back by the table, and got the piece of sweet tater pie. I didn't mind as bad, though I still wanted it, but seeing as Pine Billy was rich, he, he probably deserved it. Grandpa got out his stone jug and Pine Billy took two or three swigs and Grandma took one. Grandma coughed and got her jug of cough syrup. Grandpa got Pine Billy to get his fiddle and bow and play Red Wing. Grandpa and Grandma tapped their feet. He sure could play pretty. And he sung it too. Now the moon shines tonight on pretty red wing. The breezes sigh, the night birds crying, while far neath the stars her brave is sleeping, while red wings weeping her heart away. I went to sleep on the floor and Grandma carried me to bed. Last I heard was the fiddle. I dreamed that Prime Billy came to our cabin and he was rich and had a toe sack on his shoulder. It was full of sweet taters.